Before I begin, let me say this. I'm mighty glad I was here this morning. What a blessing. Mm. By way of introduction, I want to tell you about a Christmas many years ago when my son Luke was just a little guy. And uh, he got for Christmas a set of Superman pajamas complete with the cape. And uh, I did something I later regretted. I said, you want to fly? <laughs> and he goes, yeah. So I put my one hand under his little chest and the other under his thighs and lifted him up. And as soon as I did, he goes just like this. He goes, <laughs> and off we went through the house. And uh, in his imagination, he was flying. He believed he was flying. And I liked to got no break the rest of Christmas. It was just, can we fly? And uh, it wasn't all that long after that that my mother and her two sisters went to Hawaii on a vacation. And they came back and I came across this photo recently where she brought them gifts as she was wont to do every time she went anywhere. And she got my daughter Carrie and Luke each a grass skirt. Now, in the picture, my mother's between them and my daughter Carrie is like, I mean, she is a hula princess on the beach at Waikiki in her imagination. My son Luke is standing there in his little grass skirt, and he looks like somebody is trying to force feed him a buzzard sandwich. I mean, he is just, just, just hating it. In his imagination, this is the worst day of his life. Now, we think it's imagination is cute with our kids, and we often even encourage it. But now... If Brother Vandal back there had come in the door this morning in a Superman costume and claimed he could fly, I think maybe we wouldn't think that was so cute. They might try to put you in the loony bin if that's the case. You see, things change over time. We see differently. Imagination, by definition, is a form of mind work. When somebody goes out and digs a ditch or when you go out to feed those cows, that's physical work, work of the body. Well, thinking is work of the mind, of the brain. Imagination is a form of mind work with this one difference. It's twisted. Turn to Genesis 1, and let me show you where the word imagination comes from. Genesis chapter 1. Imagination is mind, work, or thinking that's twisted. The word imagination comes from the word image, and it's first used in Genesis 1, verse 26. And God said, let us, that's the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they were of one mind. Let us make man in our image 
after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and the cattle and the earth and every creeping thing. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. You see, Adam was a man, a figure who was a representative of all men. And God made man as a representative figure. God is spirit, and as such, you see, he needs no body. He doesn't need a body like you and I do. Uh, he can be who he is without a body. Uh, he can be who he is without... We, it's hard for us to understand because if I say... Uh, uh, Evan, move that book. Well, you got to stand up in your body, walk up here, pick it up, and move it. That's not the case with God. He does not need a body. And uh, an illustration of this, it, God speaks and a thing is done. It's hard for us to realize he just spoke and the stars were hurled into place. The galaxy suddenly existed. Earth came to be. He just spoke and it happened. Now, we have very little excuse like men in the past did. You, you say something like that and you think, yes, and roll our eyes and this sort of thing. And yet, this morning, we stopped on the way up here and Jason got out a new little black box he's got. And... <laughs> They were talking about, you know what he can do with that black box? He can go, call mom. And in the back seat, Linda hears, jingle, dingle, 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 dingle. You understand? We would deny God the very thing he's given us the ability to do. You spoke, and she was called. Do we see how foolish we are to think God is altogether like us? No, 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 no. We're made in his image. But we're just an image. And understand this. God made us in his image. But hear me here. Man is not God. Let's not pretend we are. Man is altogether made in the image of God, but is not God. When God imaged man, if I can say it like that, like everything God does, you know how he imaged man? Perfect. Adam must have been something to behold. He and Eve were perfect. Altogether beautiful, perfect. They thought right. They did right. Oh, they were perfect. It was idyllic in that garden. You know what man did? He got to thinking he was God. And the minute he did, he, when he said, it was Satan's problem. Satan said, I'll be God. Boy, God hurled him to the earth like lightning, it says. That's how long it took him to find out who he was. And by God's spirit, one day I hope we find out, all of us find out who we are. We're made in the image of God, but we're not God. And when Adam did the same thing, he said, I'll be like God. Boy, all of a sudden, you know what happened to his mind? 
he stopped thinking right. It got all twisted. All he was left with was his imagination. When Adam disobeyed God, he got twisted and evil. Do you see here, turn to the page over to Genesis 6, a little further over. When Adam did this, his mind didn't work properly anymore. He no longer could think right. Man became a creature of imaginations or twisted, untrue, inaccurate thinking. You see Genesis 6 verse 5, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that, look at this, every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, if I read that right, it's not that we have, you know, every once in a while we have a few minutes where we don't quite get it right. <laughs> no, it's not one day a month our thinking is really messed up. No, uh, every moment of every hour of every day of every year, our whole life, it's all twisted up. Our imagination Left alone, every man, all men, all women, all children. You know, you know how we're born? I saw this is interesting. I saw this thing in the morning. I get up and read the news on the computer, and there's often, you know, they pop these things up, and you go, okay, I'll look at that. And here was this thing where the, the, the caption that caught me was, twins fight it out. And I'm thinking, what's that about? And I hit it. And they, you know, now they can take an expectant mother and, and they got these machines. They look in there and see the children in the womb. And here they had twins. And you know what these twins were doing? It makes the MMA look like child's work. These two are just whacking on each other and kicking and carrying on and all this. And the, the story was, it was, they were amazed. These two precious, sweet little things are fighting in there. I got news for them. If they ever read the Bible, they'd know why. We come forth from the womb fighting, <laughs> fighting with God. So, you know, we go to the grave the same way unless God does something for us. The thoughts and therefore the words and the deeds of all men and women are twisted. Our whole head is sick. It's full of twisted thoughts. The sum total of the truth concerning man's imagination, here it is. Everything we imagine about ourselves in a good way, a positive way, it's not nearly as good as we think it is. When we're feeling really good about something we did, we gave the bum on the street a quarter or a dollar or something, it's not nearly as good as we think. When we look in the mirror sometimes, you get up fresh in the morning and you're like, got your makeup on or whatever, comb your hair good and you, you get your deodorant on because what's that about? Well, we stink by nature. It's, you know, and you're looking in that mirror and thinking, I look pretty good today. It's not nearly as good as you think it is. I promise it's not. If there's ever anything good in us, about us, in any way, you know what it is? It's got to be Christ in us. It's not natural. Everything we imagine about ourselves in a negative way, 
you're not imagining it nearly as bad as it really is. It's a lot worse than we think. When we slander someone and we think, you know, that wasn't very nice of me. No, 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 no. It's a lot worse than that. You just killed that person, according to the Word of God. When we uh, complain and get down about our situation and everything and we think, well, I shouldn't find fault with God's problems. No, it's a lot worse than that. We think if I was God, it'd be different. Got the same problem Adam had. Oh, we got, we got some twisted up thinking in our imagination. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let me show you a scripture there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. As the scriptures teach, God has chosen from the children of men a people whom he's determined from the foundation of the world to save. You know what he does with our twisted minds and hearts? Now, some of you I know fish. I've seen people fishing, and there's a couple kinds of reels that you can go with, one of which is called a bait casting reel. And it, you throw it out there and you round it this way, but when you throw it, you have to put your hand, your thumb on the reel, and you rear back and you throw it, and you release your thumb and it goes flying out there. Well, if you, when it hits the water, if you don't put your thumb on that reel, you know what happens? Well, it just keeps on spinning. And it spins and it spins and it spins. You look down there in a minute and you got what's called a bird's nest or a backlash. Now, with monofilament or plastic line, uh, lots of luck on getting it out of there. You know what most of the time you have to do? You got to just get your knife out and cut it all over, up off of there and start over. When God gives a person a new heart, he doesn't fix it up. He doesn't take that old one. Oh, let's let's make it pretty. Let's fix. no, no. Let me show you what he does. He replaces it. Look at Second Corinthians five verse seventeen. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's what? He's a new creature. He's a new creation. He's not the old one fixed up. No, it says all things are passed away. We're done with it. That old heart. We're not bringing that with us to glory. No, it'll be the new heart. Behold, all things become new. You see, God saves a sinner not by fixing the old twisted heart and mind. No, God replaces them with a perfect heart and a perfect mind. And where do you suppose he got that new mind and new heart? It's only ever been one I know of. And that's his son who came down here as a man made in the likeness or the image of man. You see the beauty of this plan? Man who was made in the image of God, we defiled ourselves. We made a mess of this thing. So God took his son, who is God, and sent him down here in the image of a man. And that, that man, the man Christ Jesus, lived a perfect life. He's got a perfect heart, perfect mind, perfect. God substitutes the one for the other. And we're new creatures in Christ Jesus. God, remember, God doesn't need a body. His hands and eyes, he can do surgery without hands. Doctors, you know, if, if, if my mother had two open heart surgeries and I watched a movie of one of them and I mean they cut you from here to there and 
snip the sternum and pull back your chest. And they reach down in there, and they nowadays they do they do heart transplants. They actually take the one out and put a new one in. The only problem is they're taking one bad heart out and putting another one in there that's going to sooner or later give up. God's a better surgeon than that. He replaces the heart. And the way he does it, without scissors and forceps and thread and all that, he just speaks. What y'all heard a few minutes ago, he uses the gospel by his spirit to reach in and take out that old, stony, rotten, nasty old heart, and he takes the heart of his son, Jesus Christ, and puts it in a believer. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. And when that happens, your mind starts to work better. <laughs> it's not all twisted. I mean, we still the old mind is still in there, not gone. But it, there's a change. Turn a few pages back to Acts chapter 16. The Spirit of God does heart surgery. God sends a preacher to speak his word, to replace a twisted heart and mind with a perfect heart and mind. And here's a clear example of it in Acts chapter 16, verse 14. There was a certain woman named Lydia. She was a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God. And you know what, how it's all started? She heard. She heard the gospel. And then it says, whose heart the Lord opened. How clear can that be? He, he, did, he reached in there, opened up her heart, ripped the old one out, and put a new one in. Whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized, and that's the first evidence we'll get that somebody has got a new heart. The Lord speaks to that heart and says, you want to follow me? And they'll go, I want to be baptized. I want to be identified with the one whose heart I've got. I want to be dipped in the water as a symbol of my sins buried in him. I want to be lifted back out. It's a picture of I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. I'm risen. It says, when she was baptized in her whole household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and abide there. And she constrained us. A believer who's got a new heart, you know what they want? They want to abide with the people of God. They want to, I know why you come here week after week after week after week. You want to be where the gospel's preached. You don't want to, you don't want to stay home. You don't want to be somewhere where you can't hear the gospel. You want to come hear it. Why? you got a new heart. It thirsts after righteousness. It thirsts after the word of God. You can't live without it. Whenever someone has surgery, there's always results. Someone with a bad knee has surgery in hopes that they can walk without pain again. Someone with poor <clears throat> excuse me, vision might have LASIK surgery in hopes that they'll be 20-20. Now, with men doing the surgery, it doesn't always go like it's planned. Sometimes a person's left crippled worse than when they started, or they're blind completely after Lasix. Some folks even die from surgeries that they thought were going to make them well. Men aren't perfect surgeons. And let me warn you about one group, religious surgeons. They're nothing but butchers. False preachers promise life, and they only deliver death. 
twofold death. You know the scripture, twofold the child of hell as they were? That's what false preachers do. They give death in this life and eternal death as well. Christ, though, is the great physician. He gives life, twofold life, life in this world and then eternal life to come. And all his surgeries are perfect. They turn out just as he planned them. I was talking to, y'all know Claire Sharon uh, down in Lexington. He, what he does for a living is that he supplies uh, replacement knees and elbows and shoulders and things to surgeons who, who operate on people and take the old ones out and put the new ones in. And Claire was telling me that every surgeon he's ever known has a plan A and a plan B. Just in case plan A doesn't quite go like he thought it was going to be, they get in there and sometimes the, the, the knee they had planned to use is not big enough or it's too big. And you know what? Claire's always got one size bigger and one size smaller for plan B. He said even one time he met a guy who had a plan C, and he said, I don't know that I want that guy doing surgery on me if he's got to think about plan C. God has one, and I'm going to change this. He doesn't have a plan. What's he got? Say it again. He's got a purpose. He's got one purpose. You know what that is? To take that old nasty heart out and put a new one in, the heart of Christ. You know what? Every surgery he does is successful. Complete recovery. No, let me change that. It's better than complete recovery. You ever see somebody and go, well, you don't even look like you had surgery. It's better than that. We don't look like that. You know what we are when the Lord operates on us? We never needed the surgery. We're so perfect when he's done, it's like we never were sick, never had a problem. That's the great physician. You say, how's that happen? I don't pretend to understand it fully, but I do fully believe it. I, by faith, truly believe that's how it is. Turn to Luke chapter 10 with me for a minute. Every new heart patient of God believes what by faith has been revealed to them. The new heart and mind no longer depend upon imagining things. The truth, the reality of things is revealed. Man's religion is all imagination, pure imagination. You ask somebody and they go, well, this is what I think. Well, I give you about less than two cents for that. I really don't care what you think. I want to know what the God, Word of God says. That's the truth. And it's got to be revealed. The rest of us just twisted up stuff. Look at Luke chapter 10, verse 21. And uh, Brother Jeff read this a minute ago. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, the religious folks, and hast revealed. Do you see that word? Revealed its revelation. Reveal them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered to me of my Father, and no man knoweth who the Son is but the Father, and who the Father is but the Son, and he to whom the Son will what? Reveal it. You ever try to watch a 3D movie without the glasses? That's what the gospel is to natural man. You just imagine all this crazy stuff going on. 
And you can't see it. You can't understand it. You can't believe it. I'd hate to watch Avatar in 3D without the glasses. Reading the gospel without a new heart is so much worse than that. It's got to be revealed. Look at Ephesians 1. Revelation is not only superior to imagination. Revelation is essential. Without it, we're just stumbling in the dark like the blind men we are. Let me give you a few things about this revelation as opposed to imagination. Revelation is not about, listen to me here, it's not about a what. We can understand and acknowledge the facts, the religious you can go to the Holy Land, so-called. You can, you can understand big words and terms and catechisms and go to the biggest, most prestigious church in the world. You can do all that stuff, okay? Without revelation, it means nothing because it's not about the what's, the places and the information and all that. It's about a person. It's a who. Lord Jesus Christ, he must be revealed to a sinner in order for salvation to occur. Look at Ephesians 1 verse 15. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you, listen now, the spirit of wisdom and what? Revelation in the knowledge of Christ. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of, now begin to pick up on these pronouns here, is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance to the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in the person, in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principalities and power and might and dominion and every name that's named, not only in this world but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filled it all. You get the picture? It's about a who. It's about Christ. It's not about the stuff or the things. It's a person. And Revelation, turn to uh, Romans chapter 10, a little bit back. And, and we see how Christ is revealed. Now, Paul said, when it pleased God. Now, when is it revealed? That I don't know. You could be, you could be the youngest one here, or you could be real old. That's not the point. When is, as Paul said, when it pleased God to separate me from my mother's womb and call me by his grace to reveal his son in me. Who? His son. That I might preach the gospel among the heathen. How is Christ revealed? The when is when he's pleased. But here's the, here's the how he's revealed in Romans 10 verse 14. Have you got that verse 14 of Romans 10, we read, 
How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and glad tidings of good things. Let me tell you why a pastor is the greatest blessing to any organized people or group on the planet. He brings glad tidings. He brings with him the revelation of God to a people of who Christ is, what he did, why he did it, and where he is now. Without it, you're just wasting your time getting together. That's how he does it, by the preaching of the gospel. And I know you all know that. And I know you're begging for a pastor, pleading with God, and all the more we should. Let me show you how messed up this can all get. Turn to Revelation 21. One for whom Christ has been revealed will do a lot of things. We'll bow to the Lord Jesus Christ in everything. We'll confess that Christ, confess Christ before men and before God. We'll show mercy as we have been shown mercy. We'll love and be loved as love's been shown to us. We'll want a fellowship with God's people. All these things we'll do, as not in order to be saved, but because it's been revealed to us. And natural man lets his imagination run wild about all this. Uh, he has no real interest in the revelation of God, but let me. Here's an example. What, if I went out here in Cottageville or Ripley or somewhere today and uh, stood outside Bob Evans and said, as people came out, I said, uh, you know, we're doing a news interview here. He said today, tell me what you know about heaven. I pretty much suspect that nine out of ten, maybe more, would say, well, they're streets of gold. And maybe what a lot of us might say without just right off the cuff might say that. And I'm not getting after you if that's the first thing that came to your mind, okay? That's not the point. But let's get the point here. What's the truth about all this? Look at Revelation 21, verse 21. And we read, in the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Every several gate was one pearl. Now, I think if I read that right, it's saying I've seen pearls, pretty big ones. But it's talking about a pearl that's big enough to be the gate, be the double door back there. That's a big pearl. That'd be an amazing thing to see, wouldn't it? But then notice what it says. And the street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent glass. Do you notice? I'd never seen this. There's no S on the word street. You know, in glory, there's not streets of gold. There is a street of gold. You know why there's only one street? There's not poor people's street, rich people's street. There's not uh, gated community streets and ghetto streets. There's not high streets and low streets. No, there's a street. You know why they only need one street? There's only one place to go, and that's the throne of grace. Christ didn't say, I'm one of the ways. No, he said, I'm the way. Well, if there's only one way, you need one street. And did you notice what, the, what gold's worth up there? like asphalt, concrete, dirt, gravel in this world, pave the street with it. It's worthless. Why is it so worthless? What is there in glory you would buy that you don't already have? The Son of God died. He paid with His blood everything you ever owe. 
The scripture says in Christ you have all. Well, what else is there to have? What would you buy? We don't need it. Pave the street with it. (laughs) Do we see what our imagination will get to doing? They're streets of gold. Whenever I need it, I can go out there with my shovel and dig all I want and buy all the stuff. I can get me a bigger house, get me a newer car. Now, that's man's imagination. You see where it'll run? Man's imagination is a wicked, terrible thing. It's so twisted. Turn to Second Corinthians 2, or 1 Corinthians 2. And let me tell you this. Don't get upset with folks who can't see these things. I remember when I couldn't see them. I was just bebopping down to life with my imagination. The two of us were having a great time. First Corinthians 2, verse 9. And it frustrates us when those we love can't see it. I should, let me rephrase that. Can't see him. Not about seeing it yet. It's about seeing him. It just hadn't been revealed to them yet. And, and we pray it will be. Don't give up. Keep praying for them. Begging God, have mercy on my children. Have mercy on my husband or my loved one. And if not, somebody else who came in the door. You'll find you got a new brother, a new sister, a new mom in Christ. Talking about Charlie Payne Day. He was like having another dad. Better than the one I had, in fact. Henry Mayhem was the best dad anybody ever had. Talk about mothers. I must have had must have had 40 of them once I heard the gospel in one place. They treated me like a, and they really loved me. That's a miracle. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. You see, left alone, people have only their imagination. Don't, let's, I mean, I know that we got to mess with the Muslims right now. Bless their heart. You know, they've been taught and their imagination believes that, that if they do this religious stuff, they'll get a bigger house full of vestal virgins. You know, when they come knocking on your door and trying to get, sell you tracks and do this thing, all they've been told is, and they imagine that they're one of the 144,000 and that they're going to get the really good stuff when they get to heaven. The, the fundamentalist in religion thinks, i got to keep doing good works. i got to keep good doing, do, doing good works so that I get more crowns and I get a bigger mansion in glory. It's such a... The atheist, you know, he just says, I won't believe anything rather than have to deal with it. My imagination thinks it's going to be all all right in the end somehow, some way, some other. The, the, the Catholic... The, purgatory, that's pure imagination. That when I die... My family who's left back here, if I didn't do anything really that bad, they can pray enough and give enough money to the church, give enough gold to the church, that it'll all be okay in the end. That's just pure imagination. 
Don't be mad at them. You and I used to imagine stuff probably crazier than that and still do if we're left alone. That's why we come back here over and over again to get away from my imagination and hear the revelation of God as it's preached from His Word. Spirit of God reveals Christ to his people. You know, turn to one last scripture, turn to Matthew 11. I don't think I very often say anything that's profound, but this might be. Find Matthew chapter 11. The whole Bible teaches that man was made in the image or likeness of God, but we destroyed ourselves. We sinned in Adam. The whole Bible also teaches that Christ, who is God, was made in the image of man, that we might not die eternal death, that we might be made perfect. Now, that's profound. The, the, God's determined purpose is to have a people just like Christ. He doesn't make them over. He doesn't give them a do-over, okay? No. He, he has them destroyed in Christ, and then he has them made new in Christ. And he reveals that truth to us, and we go, what a Savior we have. How wonderful is this? Oh, my. And before, you were as blind as a bat, couldn't see it, couldn't think it. It was all twisted up. But, boy, if he makes it plain, it's so clear and wonderful and joyous. The imagination is a terrible burden. It's an awful thing. It 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 just it's it just keeps us in sin. It just keeps us so messed up. It's no it doesn't surprise me when I hear so and so went crazy. He lost his mind. No, he's already lost it. He just now letting everybody see it as plain as it is. That's the only difference. Look here in Matthew eleven, verse twenty seven. All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father, neither knoweth any man the Father. Aren't you glad there's not a period right there? Okay, Don't give up on those you love. Pray for them. God, just because he hadn't revealed himself to them today or yesterday doesn't mean he won't today or tomorrow. And don't be angry at them. We were just like them. Now it goes on and says, nobody knows the Father but me, the Son, and nobody knows the Son but my Father. And then it says, save the Son and he to whom the Son will reveal him. If there's revelation, it's all better. It's all better. And this imagination thing, it's a terrible burden. But look, it's one that can be gotten rid of. Look at what it says. Come to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I'll give you rest. He'll throw over that imagination for revelation. He says, you take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly in heart, you shall find rest in your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you want to get rid of some of this mess in your head, (laughs) come hear the gospel. It'll help you. Revelation is such a wonderful, marvelous thing because it always reveals Christ. May the Lord bless his word.